Hi there, and welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor, I'm a coach, I'm a husband, I'm a very proud grandfather. And along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've already achieved and of living a fulfilled life by continuing to make a positive difference in the world. I invite you to join me to listen in on the Everyday Millionaire podcast as I interview and have conversations with seemingly ordinary individuals who have achieved some pretty extraordinary results, whether it be in their life, in their business, in real estate. And it's here where I'm going to delve into the details of their journey, along with the paths they've traveled to get where they are today, and as importantly, where they intend to go in the future. My guests are here to inspire. They're here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them, both in their wins and in their challenges, from the life and the lifestyle they live to the person they had to become along the way in creating and building their financial futures for themselves and their families. Before I begin this episode, I'll start by first thanking you for listening in and for your support and the feedback you provide us on the show, as well as to ask you to please continue to send your comments, your suggestions, or your questions directly to me at CEO at RainCanada.com. That is CEO at R-E-I-N-Canada.com. And if you're inclined, please share this podcast with your friends or your family and with people you know, or perhaps even people you don't know. Rate the show and comment on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, or whatever platform you happen to use to listen in. And while you're at it, please follow me on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. So thanks again for the feedback you provide us. It's definitely appreciated. Okay, let's get on with this show and have a conversation with today's guest. My guest today, August Biniaz, is an accomplished real estate developer, fund manager, and general partner. Over the past 15 years, he has earned the reputation as a private equity thought leader with a clear vision for his business, his brand, and the values he stands for. He is the co-founder of CPI Capital, where he acts as the CSO and COO while working with operating partners across the United States. August has led the way in closing over $200 million of multifamily assets since inception and is driven by his passion for sharing his knowledge and in helping others achieve their financial goals. Alongside his wife, Ava Benasaki, they have created the environment and opportunities for investor partners to earn substantial returns by investing in multifamily properties in the hottest markets in the U.S. As a leader, he is also educating his investor partners about real estate private equity through the CPI Academy platform, on their YouTube show, in webinars, on meetup groups, real estate weekly LinkedIn newsletters, and one-on-one coaching. So with all of that said, a very impressive bio. Let's get this show started. August Vinyaz, welcome to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. So happy to have you on the show today. Hey, man, happy to be here. I remember years ago seeing you on stage at the Rain event and looking up to you. And um, I mean, being here today, being interviewed by Patrick Francis, what an incredible feeling. Oh, you know something? The last thing I ever want to be put on is any kind of a pedestal makes me nervous because I'm so 
yeah, it just makes it further to fall. So <laughs> anyways, but thank you for the compliment. I appreciate it. So August, you know, uh, as I start with all my guests and because our, you know, listeners don't know you yet and they're going to get to know you. And I know you've got an amazing story and I'm excited to uh, kind of draw that out of you. But in a classic question of, uh, geez, August, what do you do? What's your answer to the question these days? I mean, to answer that question really depends who it's coming from. If mm -hmm. it's a professional individual, depending on, like, I got to assess who is asking the question. I mean, sure. um, I, I I manage a real estate private equity firm. So that's that's a very concise way of explaining what I do. But if I have to explain into detail, and it depends on my audience, I, I'm a real estate investor. I buy large multifamily properties. The debt comes from the bank. The equity comes from me and a group of investors while i manage the projects the investors are silent partners that's basically the business i'm in so that's the business of what you do let's just talk a little bit about at cpi and uh, let's just talk a little bit about that because you and ava who i've also had on the show are very focused on what's going on in the us you're focused on multifamily Let's just talk about that a little bit and uh, give me some insights into what your business model is exactly and why the U.S., why these big projects kind of uh, let's talk about that. And then we're going to talk about how you got there. Absolutely. Yeah. CPA Capital is a real estate private equity firm with its mandate to acquire multifamily value at assets in the Sunbelt states of the U.S. The really... We're, we're, we're essentially chasing yields. That's why we're in the U.S. The U.S. offers the highest yields when it comes to rent-to-value ratios, the cap rates, the surplus that exists after uh, you know, paying any kind of carrying costs, any kind of debt costs uh, related with an asset. Uh, the demographic who rent these properties, these uh, apartments in the U.S., are, are a demographic which... Uh, Throughout the you know civilized throughout the uh, uh, developed world have the highest income. U.S. is the richest country in the world, the wealthiest country in the world. Um, you know that the demographic of uh, you know the workforce, the amount that they pay on the rent is approximately one third of their income. But their income is the largest income in the world. So wh what better place to offer this service to to tenants to uh, people looking to rent. And then you got also all, all these other metrics where 70% of the U.S. population can't afford to buy a home. You got interstate, interstate migration taking place, people moving out of New York and California into these Sunbelt states, Fortune 500 companies moving there. So there's just so much, so much movement, so much yields that exists in this business that has kind of, you know, was the impetus for us to invest in the U.S., particularly coming from real estate background, uh, you know, Ava being in business in real estate for 10 years, myself in 15 years, you know, exploring all different asset classes in real estate and being involved in, uh, in many different parts of real estate and then discovering U.S. multifamily, seeing the yield, seeing the rent-to-value ratios, and then realizing the uh, real estate syndication model, uh, real estate private equity model, falling in love with it and building a company really around that concept. Well, let's talk a bit a little, a little bit more about that because when you consider, you know, what you've achieved, I'd like to hear some of your journey because, you know, uh, you didn't, you know, to your point, you started out 15 years ago and you didn't jump in at this level. You kind of, uh, like many entrepreneurs, you started building a business or you started doing something that led you down this path. Uh, give me a little bit of background into 
just how you got on this particular journey. Where were you, let's say, what were you doing 15 years ago in the real estate market? And uh, how did that kind of, you know, was there a fork in the road along the way? What kind of led you here? Because you've accomplished a lot. CPI is very reputable. You've done a lot of things. You're, you're hitting it out of the park for your investors. But you had to start somewhere. So take us back 15 years. Where did you start on that, August? Absolutely. Yeah. 15 years ago, Vancouver is going through somewhat of its early boom in real estate. And uh, I'm in between jobs, don't really have a career per se. And my mom comes up to me and is like, hey, you should think about this real estate thing. Get your real estate license. It's pretty simple. People want to sell their house. Real estate agents put them on, put it on MLS and the house sells and they make a commission. That's all it is. I'm like, really? So like, yeah, you go take this weekend course and you become a realtor. So uh, you know, so I, I, I go research some more, but I realize it's not a weekend course and then eventually get my license and go out there to try to make it. And I realize it's not as simple as just, you know, as, not, as, of, not as simple as mom said it was <laughs> darn moms. Yes. So, so, so I'm involved in that, trying to make it realize, oh, my God, this is a whole new world o over here. And but but it does excite me now. The real estate excited me very much, but not so much when it comes to. The, the aspect of being a broker and selling and dealing with 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 buyers and sellers, but it excited me about the the need that that exists. You know, it's a um, uh, you know Maslow's hierarchy, our hierarchy of needs. That shelter is one of the main needs that we have. So mm -hmm. to provide that, be involved there somewhere, you know, it's, uh, it's it's a tremendous opportunity. So for me, it was how else can I be involved in real estate other than being a broker? but still being in the space. And that's when, it, you know, I realized that I'm much better at management. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a pretty hands-on guy. I got an opportunity to, uh, through my uh, network, to be able to buy my first property. Um, we, we, we tenanted it. Unfortunately, the tenant damaged the property. We had to go in and renovate. And we, I called a bunch of uh, contractors to come in and do the contracting work and realized that, uh, you know, hiring a contractor is not really like hiring other service providers uh, it, you can't just go and hire the best person that comes up on the first search of Google. Uh, you know, you got to, you know, because otherwise the, the, the cost is going to be astronomical. So uh, we, we, we try to bring on different contractors, we realize the price is too high. And I'm like, you know what, I'm just going to take this on myself. I'm going to bring on the painter, I'm going to bring on the carpenter, I'm going to bring on the drywaller, and I managed it. And I realized by managing in myself, and doing a great job at it, I ended up being fractional of the cost it would have been if I would have brought in an actual general contractor. And that was my start, you know, in general contracting, in real estate investing, really. And it um, it grew from there. I started my own general contracting company, doing small jobs initially, fix and flips, um, eventually moved on to doing ground up development of single family homes, more on the luxury side. Again, Vancouver is doing really well. So uh, it, it was it was really a wave that I was riding here. Um, you know, any, anybody touched anything turned into gold. Uh, but my focus at that juncture became to be a, a builder, to be the, to be great at what I did, not necessarily being a developer. So I was building single family homes for clients who were hiring me as a as a home builder. I was also building homes for myself, my family, my business associates as me partnering with them saying, hey, I'll find the property, I'll, I'll be the builder on it. You guys put up the uh, you know a portion of the capital. So I was syndicating deals before I even knew what syndication was. But as I was looking at my 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 this space and I saw others who were who were in this space who started as as a single family home and scaled their way up. Uh, you know, a lot of times you hear the story of somebody coming from, you know, immigrating to North America with $20 in their pocket, doing a small fix and flip, and now they're building high rises. Yeah, it is possible. It does take place, but it's not as, uh, you know, it's not as 
simple as it's made is made to be sound, right? A, a lot of times you don't see a lot of people who failed in the process. You only see the winners really, right? So for me, it was, I was looking at others in my space and I'm like, hey, these are a lot of times are multi-generational. This is a father who was in the business for 30, 40 years, passed the business to their son, and now they're building townhomes. Now they're moving on to bigger projects. I'm like, do I want to go that on that journey. I want to be able to expedite the process a bit faster to be to be ahead of the pack. And and you know, stars aligned. An opportunity came across my desk, which was a five single family home land assembly where somebody had put it under contract. They had a, a year closing, but the person couldn't make their next their second deposit that they had to make, and they brought the deal to me. And I've never done a ground up development on a multifamily side. Uh, you know, my experience was single family, but but it was a it was a great deal. So I went to a group of investors, people that you know have worked with in the past, and uh, I brought a deal to them. I said, "Hey, listen, I'll bring on the GC. I'll bring on everybody else that's that needs to be involved here. This is a great deal. We're making money on the purchase date because you know we're getting a below market. This is a kind of a opportunistic deal that we have on our on, in front of us." And they came on. It was a eight million dollar land purchase. And uh, it was a $5 million equity raise, brought on investors. Again, had no idea how real estate private equity worked. I had no idea how syndication model worked. Uh, had no idea what a, a limited partnership was, but we created a corporation. Each partner created their own corp within this corp. And then we did a shareholder agreements that I get a portion of the profits as sweat equity for bringing on the deal and sitting on the board. So fell in love with this model. I'm like, this is something I wanna do. I wanna be the guy who finds the deal who finds the investors and gets a portion of the profit. And I loved it also because it was it was performance-based. The better the project did, the better you know I did as a person who put it all together. And rather than where a real estate agent gets a commission no matter what happens, a builder gets paid no matter what happens after the home is built, uh, no matter what happens in the market. Whereas this business was very much performance-based. I fell in love with that for that as well. Okay, but hold on, hold on, hold on. You, you've covered a lot of ground here. So let me back up a bit because... Sure. You know, my brain goes back to, you know, a, to the, the early part of your story. So thanks for covering that, by the way. I think that's remarkable. But what I find, you know, what you've done, and, but what I find is remarkable is this. And that is that you as a realtor, so you jump into that game, you know, you take the guidance of mom, you go, okay, mom, this isn't what you said it is at all. And I'm joking, of course. But the reality of it is, is that many and I would say by far most realtors never have any kind of a realization that being on the treadmill of selling deals and buying deals or, or, or finding deals, finding listings, that's what they do. I'm in this conversation right now, as a matter of fact, because we're, we're working with some realtors right now where they've been realtors for many years and they don't own a single piece of real estate themselves. And, you know, they're busy making their clients wealthy and they're not actually creating wealth for themselves, although they're generating a great income. They're not owning those assets that they're, in fact, supporting others and growing. So that's a bit of a long winded way. I want to go back to what you said, which was, you know, this whole realtor thing didn't make sense to me or, or whatever your actual language was. I want to know how long did it take you to figure out that being a realtor is not the answer? Right away. It was right a matter of months. I, as, an, as an agent, I, I never really got a listing from a client. I never sold a house. I never bought a house. Uh, my own projects I did. And it gave me, it allowed me to be in the space, see, you know, have access to the MLS, have access to the, uh, to the industry. But as a broker, I never got a chance to ever even list a single house, really. 
So, okay. So, but what was, what is it that you saw or did you have a mentor? Did you, what was your fork in the road moment? If there was one that you went, nope, this doesn't work. I'm going to go this direction and I'm still going to play in the real estate game. Like, can you, can you take me back there a little bit, August? Because I mean, what you've accomplished is, is, you know, really quite remarkable. I mean, it's, it's very, you know, it's something that you should probably be very proud of. I'm sure you are. And I know that you've been supported along the way, but you started that journey. You went down that path and I'm always fascinated by entrepreneurs and how did they go down? Like, what was your, I call it your entrepreneurial accident. You know, what was your entrepreneurial accident? Because you didn't wake up one day and go, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. You know, your mom tells you to be a realtor and then you go, no, this doesn't work. So you go down a path. So I'm, I'm looking for that moment in time to see how your brain fires to actually go that direction. Yeah, that, that, that really the entrepreneurial side inside me started years before that. And I kind of get in the story of what, what caused it. But just briefly touching on the real estate agent, agent side of things, I, I was never planning, trying to start a job for myself. I was so reluctant on having a job. It was more of being a businessman. It was more of a person putting deals together. So being a real estate agent seemed like a job, even though it's not. You're a contractor, really, but it felt like a job. And, um, you know, real estate agents have to do open houses and sure. the timing, their phone has to be always on. So it, was, it felt like a job. But really, my, my start in, you know, being an entrepreneur and wanting to be a businessman is a broad term. Started out when, uh, you know, me and my family, my family and I immigrated to Canada here at 13 or 14 years old. And my dad, you know, we immigrated from Iran. In Iran, my dad was, we were upper middle class. He was well-educated, had a great job. Um, he was getting trained in Germany and and Great Britain coming back to Iran and educating university professors about the lab equipments that he was selling to them. So our home, anytime we had a party, we were, you know, the party was, there was academics, professors, and many other people involved. We had multiple cars, multiple properties. And the idea was that my dad was going to come, we were going to move to Canada. He he came here six months before us and we were, he was supposed to get a great job. Everything is set. But by the time he came here, he hadn't found the job yet. So we were totally surprised. It was around 94, 95. So the Vancouver economy wasn't at its best stage here at that time. There were a lot of people from Hong Kong that had come here because they were afraid of China taking over and they were going back to Hong Kong. So the economy wasn't at, you know, where it was. And he was trying his best to apply for a job and he just couldn't find a job. And he wasn't really an uh, entrepreneurial type of guy. He was more of a, he's always, you know, used his degrees to get a, you know, get a job. He was a, a med school dropout and, you know, studied political science for a couple of years and then got into engineering and completed that. And, you know, uh, like I explained prior, uh, you know, he, he worked with a lot of academics, uh, university professors, but here he just couldn't find a job. And I got the worst taste in my mouth when it came to finding a job. I got such a bad experience with this, this idea that is sold, go to school because my dad did all of that, you know, get a job and, you know, retire. You know, we, I hear a lot of people reading the book, rich, poor, uh, you know, uh, rich dad, poor dad, and coming out to this realization that this idea of going to school, working for 30 years, retiring, uh, you know, doesn't really make sense. And to have that aha moment, my aha moment was at 13, 14, realizing that, you know, my dad, having followed the rules, never really made it. So uh, the spark really started at that point. So that's so interesting, though, that, you know, number one, I love these stories so much. You know, we often hear about, uh, you know, the stories of people who are, you know, think that we shouldn't 
allow so many immigrants into the country. And, 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 and to me, I look at it, number one, you know, Canada needs the immigration, but I'm always quite fascinated by the stories of immigrants coming to another country. I mean, when you consider your dad having the success he had in Iran and then coming to Vancouver, you know, like leaving his country to come here ahead, leaving his family, putting it all out there. And I mean, these are just some of the stories, you know, like it's, it always is very fascinating to me is all I want to say. And it, it, and so there's a part of it, I guess, that in some regards, when you look at how you were raised, there was a lot of, I guess, courage that was, you know, that you must've saw in your parents at least uh, that, to do that. I don't know if you recognize it at 13 or 14, but you also start to realize that it becomes what is normal for you in terms of decision-making, in terms of taking action, understanding that, you know, I'm sure your parents probably shared some of the fears, but they did it anyways. You know, they, they stayed excited about it. They looked to a really positive future for you and the kids, your other, your siblings, of course, for their family. And I'm just, I'm always, I always admire that, and wonder, because I've never experienced it, but it just has to be such a, an epic move to make. Yeah, no, absolutely it is. I mean, for my dad, and as far as the job, as far as the income, for my mom as well, for family and friends that you really have, immigration is... It, it, it is, you know, it's, it's, it's really life-changing. It's, um, you know, and, and, you know, Canada is really, a, Canada, U.S., there's a nation of immigrants. People, if they haven't done it this generation, it was a few generations before, but it takes a certain type of person to make that move. And that's why, that's one of that my opinion about, you know, U.S. and Canada, particularly U.S. being so successful, is because it's built from these people who were trailblazers, who didn't mm-hmm. leave where they were and came and built this new country. So I'm all, really always been excited to be part of that movement, because it is somewhat recent when you look at it in the you know the span of civilization been around for forty thousand years you know the United States has been there for a few few hundred so if uh, you know Canada as well so it feels good being part of this wave of the, this this generation that's built these countries but yeah as far as the, the toll it takes on that first generation they're literally sacrificing themselves for their kids to make it why why was he why did your family why did he want to leave Iran. I mean, again, my dad was 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 um, you know involved in in part of the uh, the society that were educated, that were well off, that were against the the really the Orwellian regime that uh, you know uh, that uh, runs Iran is 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 literally a theocracy. So it's a yeah. rule of, rule of the the mullahs. Imagine priests running the country here. People are uh, already trying to um, you know. Uh, I see all kind of talks about Trudeau. I'm like. Uh, calling Trudeau a dictator, I'm like, ah, you guys don't know what a dictator is. You know, <laughs> you, you, it, it was to, it, it was it was to a point that you know, music, certain types of music was illegal. Since you know, like you you read read George Orwell's book and uh, and and you know, you, you Iran was that and is that, and it's deteriorating. And to to think of it that 1979 was one of the uh, you know, uh, uh, one of the best places in the Middle East, c- close friendship with Israel, you know, fourth strongest or fifth strongest army in the world, you know, 25 million population, people visiting Persopolis, visiting uh, different cities, Shiraz and uh, Tehran in, in, in Iran, and then going backwards in time, eight-year war that over a million people died that I lived through. I remember first grade, I was, uh, you know, our, our first grade teacher was telling us, hey, listen, today there might be some sirens, 
everybody be calm. We're just gonna walk to the bomb shelter. And as the sirens went off, all the kids started like just having fun because we knew class was gonna be over and her face went white. And I remember hundreds of kids or probably a thousand kids running on the streets towards the bomb shelter, which was just a underground parking lot of a, of a high rise that we ran to. But I lived through that all because, you know, a certain uh, group took over the country and ruled it the way they wanted and, uh, you know, caused so much damage and so much destruction. So yeah, that, that, those were all reasoning for my dad to move to, to the West to bring his family and literally sacrifice himself and sacrifices his, um, his, the life he had in Iran to come here and, uh, you know, to, to try to make it here. You know, it's a, the reason I go down that path in terms of this conversation, August, from my point of view and, and what I've learned is that, of course, we are where we are today and we sometimes forget about the journey to get here and, you know, what we had to, how we had to develop, how we had to shift how we think and shift our view of the world. I mean, when you arrived in Canada as a young man and then you, you know, and being brought up in the environment that you were brought up, up. Can you look back at that now? And, and as tough as that must have been for the family, uh, given the war, given what was going on there, do you see today how that was also plays into, you know, your mindset, your view of the world, how things now, like, you know, to your point, you know, as Canadians, we can complain about our government and you're looking at it going, yeah, he's, you know, Trudeau may be a bit of an asshole, but he's nothing compared to, or he's not what you think he is relative to what the reality, to your point, of a dictator really is. So this is probably a little bit, yeah, it pisses you off, but it's not It's not what people think it is. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, my experience has really built who I am today. You know, in retrospect, a lot of times you go back and say, I would have acted differently, or I should have done this, or I should have done that. But uh, where you are today is really accepting where you are and understanding that you are where you are because of the decisions you've made. And some, you know, most of them are your choice, some of them not being your choice, but it's really what we do right in life, kind of uh, what builds us, what kind of builds our foundation and and the decisions we make, uh, you know, relative to the the situations that come in front of us. I think there's a part of it, I guess, where I go with it sometimes it, or often August is that, you know, we share this, uh, you know, I share this philosophy often, which is, you know, we see these outcomes. And if I look at, you know, August and what you've accomplished and we see an outcome, but we don't see the journey that you were on to get to where you are, to what you've achieved. You know, you've worked hard. I'm sure it hasn't always been easy. And, you know, you've learned from those mistakes and kept on going. You know, that's the part of it that I think that listeners, when I share these stories, you know, when I talk about seemingly ordinary individuals who've achieved extraordinary results, you can focus on the outcome. But within the context of what we're talking about here today, I'm always kind of wanting to talk about the journey to make it real for people to understand that, you know, to get these outcomes, you have to go on that journey. You have to be prepared to, uh, you know, to hit those challenges, to face those challenges, to overcome those challenges and, and celebrate the wins along the way. But, you know, having known you a little bit now for a while, you know, I certainly see the passion and the drive and when you look at that aspect of it, by the way, when we talk about the passion, the drive to do what you do, August, um, what's kind of underneath that? You know, if we take the money off the table, say, you know, beneath that, what is it that gets you out of bed in the morning and keeps you going? 
to be extraordinary, really, to to leave a legacy, to build something great, to help a lot of people along the way, to be applauded by my mom. I mean, a very close relationship with my mom. Um, uh, she's she's really my hero of my life. She's one of the strongest people I've I've ever met. But also pleasing her, she was very focused on um, me. You know, becoming a a doctor. It was like her dream for me to be a surgeon. And unfortunately, I was never really good at uh, academia and and uh, you know the educational side side of things. So I just feel like if if my mom. Can see can 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 see me as someone who's successful can, that 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 has helped others. That that's what I really feel like I've made it. You know, they're like, hey, you know, a lot of times young guys you see on videos and social media, hey man, you made it, you made it. But with me, it's like as long as my mama says I've, I've made it, I've made it. So <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. So you know, when you look at what you're uh, what you've got going on and where you're going with it, what's your you know what do you, what do you see for the vision for your business? What do you see for the you know the the longer term in terms of how you want to build it. I remember, you know, years ago, I uh, wasn't that many years ago that I interviewed a developer and, you know, her, her comment was, you know, I want to do a half a billion dollars. I want to have a half a billion dollars of assets under management. And then it was a billion and, and it went on to grow from there. And, and she it was very successful at achieving those goals. It, do you have that kind of a, an outcome, that thought process in mind, August? Yeah, it's a great, great part of the business that we're in. The real estate private equity space is so scalable. There's no limitation as as a home builder or a real estate agent or, uh, you know, some other professions. There is a limitation that can happen there, and you can see who is the best in your space. And I look at on our space. I look at Blackstone, ten trillion dollars of assets under management. It's a scalable business. As long as you build that equity, as long as you have great deals, as long as you're not highly leveraged and you manage your company well, I mean the uh, you know the you know the the kind of the goal is just so immense. It's so large. So really, I mean, I, I could put all kind of numbers on it. I mean, we've closed on over two hundred million dollars of projects uh, so far. Yeah, absolutely. The, the billion dollar of assets under management is a great milestone to reach. But the scalability of this business really allows that. Tell me a little bit about, you know, what you see. So, you know, what drives a great business, of course, is, you know, uh, a great team and a great leader, but also, you know, when you consider the values of your business, the mission of your business, what sets you apart from, we'll use a Blackstone as an example, but I mean, there's lots of them out there, but what sets you apart from others in the industry? And, uh, you know, kind of when it looks at, when you look and you consider your values, I mean, obviously one of your highest values is your family. In this case, you talked about your mom. And, uh, and but what I'm saying is, is that what what's kind of underlying what sets you apart in terms of how you look after your clients, for example? Yeah, currently is really, and we've been very transparent with what, with our with our current investors that our current model, our current size allows for this, but we're not sure if this can be sustainable. But is that communication that we have with our investors? Is the fact that all our investors uh, have have the personal information and contact with our leadership team, uh, being Avar, myself, or our other partner, Dr. Drew, uh, Dr. Ambati, is they have their personal numbers. They get on our calls with us. It's a very uh, holding the hand process that we have, we feel like they're our family. We have we've had investor dinners in in bank in, in Toronto so far. So it's it's a very close knit 
kind of a community. Now I'm saying as we grow and we have all these uh, extravagant plans as far as growth, is that going to be sustainable? So that's something that we have to realize how to achieve that. But a lot of investment firms start out with that kind of initial investor community that they build. So currently in this phase, is that close uh, communication? We're very big on transparency, of course, uh, you know, uh, if there is good news or bad news for our investors to um, to to be informed immediately, uh, we're huge on the educational side of it. We 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 want to be known as the thought leaders within the space to create a lot of content to educate ourselves. To then we can educate our investors as well. Uh, you know, to speak on as many platforms as we can, speak on summits, bringing on expert guests to speak with us, and recording that and sending that to our investors. So the educational side of it is very important for us as well. Uh, those are some of the top top items that I could note current right now. So I want to go back in this conversation, August, is, you know, again, I always look at the journey. So, you know, you talk about being a young man in Iran. Uh, you have uh, a great family. You've got, a, you know, you've, you've developed great family values because of that. But was there a time somewhere early on? When do you think or was, you know, I, you talked about saying you always kind of wanted to be a business owner. You didn't want to have a job. Where do you think or when do you think you had the moment in time? Because I was built to say, way. I don't know when it happened, but it happened really young where I just always had this dream or this thought process of being a business owner. And uh, I had a job for a short period of time, a few years, like seven, literally seven years in a corporate structure, which was really, I, I looked at that and went, that was such an amazing, I guess, apprenticeship or education for me in real life, in real terms. I learned a lot. And then I had my entrepreneurial accident and I haven't looked back since 1984. But for you, what was was there always that drive there? Do you think how is there a time frame you could put on it where you thought, you know, I want to own a business? Yeah, absolutely. The, the, obviously, the catalyst we touched on it was when my dad couldn't find a job as we moved here, and that was kind of the the push right that there. was that demented everything. But prior to that, since I was a kid, people always asked, and I'm talking about a young child, people always get asked, "What do you want to be when you grow up?" And a lot of kids said, "I want to be a pilot or I want to be a doctor." I never really wanted to be that. I think I understood this concept of time freedom from early on. I wanted the ability to be able to be mobile, to be able to be free, to be able to do things I wanted to do. I I think I was always afraid of being constricted, being afraid of being in a claustrophobic kind of environment. I wanted to be able to, uh, you know, uh, be mobile. So I think it started early on. And when I did look around me and my father's friends, our family friends, the businessmen were always the fun one and they did things and they traveled and they, they, were, they were the ones having all the fun. The doctors seemed really boring. So I, I think it was early on that I, you know, didn't really um, subscribe with this idea of, you know, being a doctor or, or a lawyer or an accountant. It was always something more, uh, you know, something extra. And, and, and also also being involved in business and commerce. So a businessman always fit, fit that really well. So it was, it was from early on, man. Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because, you know, you say something that, you know, a lot of entrepreneurs, like I know for myself, and, I, and, I'm, and this is a question, I guess, for you as well. I know for myself that it's not a case of, you know, having all this free time with, you know, choosing to do whatever I want. I mean, I love what I do. So as much as I'm got commitments to my business and to producing results and all the rest of it, I'm not, to your point, I'm not restricted in what I'm doing. Like I get to be creative. I get to work with my team. I get to solve problems and sometimes create problems that I have to then solve. But 
you know, that's that's really what it is about it. It's the flexibility and the movement. It's not, I, I you know, free time because I want to go, you know, fishing or golfing all day. Although that may be a choice sometime. Yes. No. Exactly. Exactly. So when you look at um, your entrepreneurial journey, August, and if you were to, you know, because many real estate investors and many real estate investors listen to this podcast. If you're giving somebody guidance who says, I want to do, like, I, that's what I want to do. I want to raise capital. I want to, you know, go out and buy big buildings and I want to, you know, create an LP. You know, what kind of guidance are you giving somebody who's young to start their journey and kind of take that on? How, how would you guide somebody in that regard? Get a mentor, without a doubt. Get a mentor. If you're not at a position to be able to afford, a mentor or, or, or a paid coach, go and work for them for free. Do whatever it is in your power to gain the knowledge from someone else who's been through it, who's, who's, you know, who's given blood, sweat, and tears to be in the position they are, uh, who didn't have it easy coming to them. A lot of things that I went through, extremely difficult, and I can, I can literally hand it over in a basket to somebody else. And if you have that opportunity to get that through, uh, you know, a paid coaching, coaching process, if you have that, a, a way to get that on a mentoring side, then you're, you're a super winner right there. But you got to always find out, well, how can I add value to this person that they can give me some some of the knowledge they have through their journey. I mean, a, a lot of times in construction, we, we talk about this a lot, is like uh, somebody is trying to perform some kind of a construction duty and the uh, older guy who's been doing it for a while just walks by and says, hey man, don't do it like that, do it this way. And that saves the guy hours or days just because the other fellow has you know has, has been through and has done it a few times same thing in any kind of business venture real estate private equity real estate investing if you can connect yourself with a mentor uh, you know with a paid coach um, and do everything in your power to 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 achieve that that will that will give you a head start that will give you that, that will expedite the process immensely also another quick quick advice to add to that is also immersing yourself if you want to get into an industry it, it shouldn't be a, a, hey i'm going to check this out or i'm going to try this out if you really believe in a certain concept you got to dedicate your life to it and dedicating your life to it doesn't mean just getting a job within that space but immersing yourself reading the books hanging out with people that are in that industry you want to go play golf go play golf with somebody else who's in real estate you want to go uh, jump on your road bike go road biking with people who are in real estate immerse yourself join clubs join mentorship programs join everything be around that space make it your life and the odds of uh, being successful is going to be much higher than just doing it uh, uh, you know casually so august did you have a mentor yourself or, or did you are you giving that advice because you wish you would have had a mentor or was it a combination of both what was it for you no, I wish I would have had it. Unfortunately, what comes a lot of times with, with people who think they're uh, they're clever and they're smart and they, they they've always figured way, ways out. They pride it doesn't allow you to go and then uh, reach out a mentor. I've, uh, thankfully, I've got to a position that I uh, in the recent times. I have reached out and I've brought on mentors and joined groups, uh, you know, like the Rain platform and what have you to be uh, surrounded. But uh, yeah, best advice would be early on if you see that you that you might have a chance in a certain industry and that aligns with you, real estate, uh, you know, other types of industries, you need to find a mentor that will expedite the process. So yeah, for me, unfortunately, I didn't go that route. And, uh, you know, it was very difficult and very hard. 
Well, it's interesting when you go back and, you know, just it's always a little bit philosophical, but, you know, you came away thinking, you know, I want to be a business owner. That was the kind of the very high level thought that you had as a young man growing up. And then you had your entrepreneurial accident, which was really started with a little fork in the road called, you know, son, why don't you go be a realtor? And, you know, think about that, that one discussion that opened up the door and that fork in the road that that took you on. And then, of course, at some point in early on to your your point is that that bled off of the I'm not going to be a realtor. I want to go in be deeper. And you, you always you know, it's always interesting to look at the path that got us here and those little coincidences that take us down on a journey that now unfolds to your success. But it all started with an overarching understanding of yourself that goes, I want to be a business owner. And you didn't have an attachment to what it looked like. You just, that's where it started. The next thing you know, you have your entrepreneurial accident. And I can say that about me. I've had about three entrepreneurial accidents, hence the businesses that I own. Now, some of them I've struggled. I've been challenged. All of the stuff with it, I wouldn't trade any of it, by the way. But it's a real reality for those who are looking at going on that entrepreneurial journey is that you want answers. Often many people want an answer. I just don't, I think I'm going to do this. I want to, but you've got to start with a understanding that this is what I'm going to do and then let it go. Start it, start the journey. And, uh, you know, then these little, little nuances or these entrepreneurial forks in the road show up. What's your thoughts on that? Do you, do you see that when you look in back in reflection or even in the community that you hang out with August? No, hundred percent. I do. I mean that, you know, the, the moment that I realized that I don't want to have a job and I want to be involved in real estate as an agent, and then I want to be involved in the contracting side. These are all very major milestones, but another very major milestone that I think a lot of your listeners will, will resonate with was the moment that I realized that the limitations that I have for being a developer, being a builder, the limitations that I have because of my access to equity could be alleviated by private equity, by private capital, by investors. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times I look at life and I'm like, we require investors throughout our whole life because an investment is not only a monetary amount. A lot of times people give their time, uh, you know, give a lot of different things to us. They're, they're, they're investors in us, even if in a, in a romantic uh, relationship, it's literally you're someone's wife or someone's husband, they've invested in you. So it's important to create this relationship with investors, but to be able to utilize that in real estate. If you have investors, if, if, if you're doing something well enough that others trust in you to give their hard-earned money to you for that business venture and you can grow from that, if that sparks get turned on in you and you can realize how to utilize that and how to grow that, um, you know, you're on, you're, you know, you as, a, as an investor are on a great path. Well, that's an interesting topic because we see time and time again that the, you know, we, of course, within the Real Estate Investment Network are often having conversations with people that go, I can't, I can't do this because I don't have enough money. And, you know, we say, well, we, we use a phrase often, it's a quote that we say, you know, the more knowledge you have, the less money you need. And that just comes from understanding, you know, the flow of money, what you can do with other people's money and supporting and creating a, a I guess, a a profitable investment for them as well as yourself. How were you, when it came to raising capital or when realizing that I need you needed to raise capital, were you 
frightened by that prospect of saying, I have to find investors or were you nervous about it? Give me a little bit of insight in how you took it on. Did you have to get education? Did you reach out for help? How did you actually step into that? Because that's a big responsibility, you know, working with other people's money. And I know, I know you and Ava take it very seriously. Yeah, all the emotions, all of the emotions combined, kind of getting into the space of raising capital. Obviously, capital raising is uh, overseen by the securities commissions, both in Canada and the U.S., and they're pretty strict uh, uh, regulations and regulatory uh, frameworks that exist around raising capital. So, of course, the education is very important. Connecting with the right securities attorneys and what have you is very important. But initially, it's very important to set your values within that space because the moment that you are someone else's uh, steward of their investment, you know, the, losing money, being unscrupulous is something that attaches you for a, for a lifetime. Um, and uh, it's important from early on to understand how to avoid any issue that's going to put you in a situation where you, you lose investors' money or you uh, ruin that trust that exists because our whole business model is this whole growth ideas around the brand we've built, which is all around trust. So if we, uh, you know, if we don't uh, dot all our I's and cross our T's and make sure we do the right underwriting on deals, make sure investors have the perfect investment journey, we could, you know, pretty much uh, shoot ourselves in the foot and ruin something that that is decades to come. So it's very important early on, uh, put those values in place from the way you treat investors. For example, I've talked to very openly, and I mean this from the bottom of my heart, and I'll stand by it till, till the day I'm no longer here, is that I rather I rather lose my money than investors' money. Mm -hmm. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. Now, I, you know, the rethinking about it over and over, I rather not lose any of the money. I rather <laughs> of course. lose my money or investors' yeah. money. But yeah. if there was a choice, if there was a gun to my head and I had to choose money, it would, it would be that. Because that will actually help me build myself. I can leverage that story that there was a situation. August was involved in and Thankfully, he hasn't because the market has been on such a hyperbolic um, trend over the last, uh, since I've been involved in it heavily on the investor side. But if it does happen at some point, I want to be able to leverage that story that this guy was willing to sh sell his shirt on his back to make sure that his investors don't lose or their, their recoups. Because when I hear those stories, that excites me. Yeah. That excites me, the stories of what, what somebody did to build a company. So, yeah, this investor journey has been incredible. I mean, really dealing with investors and the demographic. We deal with accredited investors. These are doctors, lawyers, surgeons, accountants, people who are so much more educated than me, people who are more successful than me, people who have bigger net worth than me, and they trusted in me, in my business idea, to write a check, sign a 200-page subscription agreement that pretty much says, if these guys lose all your money, you can't do anything about it. That is the trust that you don't want to lose and you want to build from. Yeah, there is a, a quote, I don't know who did it, but it's along the lines of, it takes a lifetime to build a reputation. It takes a moment in poor judgment to destroy a reputation. And uh, and and these are the things that, you know, when you understand that reputation in the game that you're playing is absolutely everything, it is, uh, it's really, really important to, uh, you know, maintain your integrity, say and do, you know, be who you say you are and all the rest of it. And of course, delivering results is a big aspect of that. But there's certainly a lot of room for, uh, you know, the results side of things when you stay true to, you know, the intention of, you know, doing your best for your investors. So I just find it quite interesting along that line. Now, tell me a little bit, uh, August, is that, you know, 
when you look at who you are as an individual today, you know, I know that you're really focused. You're obviously a bright guy. You've probably got a good propensity for numbers, but rather than ask you or say that, what's your superpower? Ooh, my superpower. Let me think about this. My superpower. Um, my superpower is my, re my resilience. Mm-hmm. My resilience. I mean, I've, I've always been a fighter, actually, like uh, literally and uh, in every sense of the word. Is, is I'm, I'm a hard guy to say no to. I'm a hard guy to fail. Uh, sometimes, it, you know, it, it works counterproductive for you as being a fighter and being resilient. But um, it's difficult to deter me when I have my mindset on a mission. So when you look at how you are today as a leader... You know, I'm not a, you know, I often ask the question, is it nature or nurture? So when you look at your leadership, there's a, there's a part of it, of course, that's character. It's part of your upbringing, uh, but it's also part of your realizations. But is it something that you study? You know, do you read about it? Do you, are you focused on being a great leader or you, do you just show up and do and be who you are? Yeah, mostly I really am who I am. I think I have those leadership skills naturally in me. I speak loud. I stand up tall. I, I say it how it is. I'm very laconic. Um, uh, sometimes, uh, you know, com comes, um, you know, if you ask me, what is your Achilles heel? I would say, because I'm being, I'm, I'm too straightforward. I'm too laconic. Um, uh, but, but yeah, no, definitely. I have those, uh, the, the leadership skills, but what I study, what I study and what I want to become a master of is the art of delegation is really the best businessmen out there, the most successful people, the people who delegate the most important tasks to the right man for the job. As a custom home builder, I didn't know how to, uh, you know, build a roof. I didn't know how to set uh, shingles. I didn't know how to frame houses, but I knew how to find the right uh, roofer who's done other projects in this city, who understands the roof that I want to do to make sure I manage them correctly, bring the right man for the job. And I want to follow the same concept in the current business that we're, we're in, but being able to be a master delegator to, to find the right person for the job. I mean, you, you, you're on your way to uh, being a junior Elon Musk with all the companies he's got because he brings on the right man for the job. There you go. It's an interesting, you know, uh, there's a phrase that I often use with young entrepreneurs as I do in some coaching is that, you know, you need to learn to delegate, but not abdicate. What happens with many small business owners is that they do delegate, but they look at that as uh, ab they then abdicate. So they'll pass it off and they real and they believe that, well, I've delegated, which is what I'm supposed to do, but they realize they don't realize is that doesn't mean to abdicate. So in other words, you have to follow up. And the other point that you uh, made, which is so important, and you really said it slightly differently, which is, you know, you need to hire people that are way smarter than you. You need to engage with people that are way smarter with, than you in their specific, you know, pool of talent, if you will. You know, if you're the smartest guy in the room, as they say, you're in the wrong room. And uh, it sounds like you're kind of have learned that along your journey as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, um, it comes from the book, really, um, uh, Think and Grow Rich by um, Napoleon Hill. And, he, and there's a chapter he talks about Henry Ford and how Henry Ford ends up suing a, a news conglomerate because they published something about him not being, uh, not being sophisticated. And he sues them. And in, the, in court, there is going through the position is going through cross-examination by the lawyer of the news, uh, news agency. And, and they're, they're trying to prove that he might not be very sophisticated. And then he just gets fed up and he's like, listen, at my office, I got a few electric buttons I can press and I can bring the great minds within that space to come in and answer to me. Mm -hmm. What I'm best at is finding the best 
man for the job and bringing him and with all the skills that he has in the world to kind of give me a crash course on different things. Why would I know, need to know about everything in the world? I just got to find a person who's an expert. So I really live by that. So when you look at your history and what you have achieved and you go over it, you know, obviously and commonly we've all made mistakes, but have you ever, is there something that shows up for you as something, you know, what you would maybe consider a failure that turned out to be a blessing in disguise, for example, or have you had a failure that you went, holy cow, it's a good thing that that happened because, because of that, I learned about that. Any, any of those kinds of thought processes that have, that show up for you, uh, August? I see myself as a lucky person, lucky in all around. I mean, lucky with the, with the, with the family I got, lucky with opportunity to, to be living in the West, lucky with opportunity being involved in real estate and eventually real estate private equity, which I feel like is a tremendous business to be in. Overall, I've, all, I've always been a lucky person. So yes, there's, there's things that have happened, which there were, in my opinion, were mistakes made by me, but I ended up being, uh, you know, a lucky situation. So uh, I can't really say that I made a judgment and it was the correct judgment at the time, but it was a mistake and it ended up being something right. I wouldn't go, I wouldn't go that far, but I would say that I have got lucky definitely over time. Well, that's great. So uh, when you look at the role of a significant other in your life, how important is a significant, how important has your significant other been in your business and in what you've achieved? My significant other is really a, uh, my relationship with my significant other is really a storybook. It's something that there should be books written about and TV shows and a bunch of other things. It's, it's something I don't think is very common, unfortunately. I don't think is, is, is very much possible. It's really the stars aligned for me to connect with my significant other, for us to not only be life partners, but also business partners, for us to align on so many different levels. You know, I hear stories, uh, you know, in the other generation where, People were just finishing high school and they met their um, high school sweetheart and they fell in love and they lived together happily ever after. And, and it happens all the time. But the odds, the numbers just made no sense. Um, you know, the great thing about me and my partner is we were single for an extensive time prior to meeting each other. And uh, we, uh, you know, exhausted every option that was out there. So it wasn't a situation that we met our high school sweetheart. We we came into this by the choice that we had with all the free freedoms that existed for us, with all the other options that were out there. We came into it making that choice to be in it. And then, uh, you know, something truly amazing came out of it. And uh, there was a, there was a spark there and and we were we got to be able to build each other, better each other. Um, you know, uh, Ava Benesaki, or actually the CEO, I actually work for her, literally, um, is, um, you know, CEO of CPI Capital is, is, is my wife, I'm her husband. And the relationship is very, very close, very close. We're looking to build something great together. We wake up early in the morning, we go to the gym, we come back, we brainstorm, uh, plan the day. We, we call it we triage the day, and then we get into our, uh, you know, our own side of side of the business. Um, we we travel together. We, we do sports together. There's just so much building there, and uh, you know, I, I I wish that for everyone. I wish it, and but I just just the odds that exist for someone to be able to meet that perfect person. Yeah, I think we. With, with social media and dating apps, is it possible to meet that perfect person? Uh, you know, again, being a young man and being single for a long time, uh, 
uh, the odds are very low to be able to meet that perfect person that just takes so many boxes. But I got, again, I got lucky in this situation that achieved that. <laughs> That's great. So, you know, when you look at working with somebody, I mean, I've worked with, uh, you know, Stephanie and I have been together 30 years and we've worked together that whole time. So I, I, I understand what you're saying. When I, when you look at the relationship that you have with Ava and what you guys do in business, is there a secret to or a tip that you would give to somebody who's working with their significant other? Do you guys, uh, is it just because you are able to turn it off at a certain time and go, okay, no, we're not talking business anymore. This is just life. What is there some insight that you would share with somebody about being successful and working directly with your partner, your significant other? Oh, it's hard. I advise against it. Do <laughs> not work with your partner. Absolutely not. So uh, that would be my, honestly, that would be my advice. But w for us, our dynamic for it to be success successful is that we're not, we're very strong minded and we're not yes men to each other. So if one of us don't agree with everything, we fight, we mm -hmm. fight. And we're talking about investors, capital, we're talking about buying tens of millions of dollars in, in, in assets. So when there is a disagreement, we, we need to go to, uh, we need, we basically go, need to go to mediation. We need to go bring on our, uh, our advisors, bring on our partners and let, let the vote decide because it's very serious when things come like that. But there's also such immense love and empathy for each other that, you know, it's something that we both know this is a life lifelong uh, partnership that's going to be there but is important uh, there is no uh, there is no softer side where somebody in this relationship is going to overpower the other and they call the, the shots is if there is a disagreement, it goes to a vote to two partners. So I think that's been something that's been really helping us out. And then also a lot of times our partners, like you mentioned earlier, are much more educated than us. Um, our asset managers, um, uh, you know, uh, Philip Lossman, um, shout out to Philip Lossman. He's been asset managing for 30 years. You wow. Know, yeah. As Ava has uh, really uh, been been around, so so we go to them and we ask them for advice. This is the situation. This is our struggle. What is your advice? And when that advice comes in, because we trust them so much, we we wholeheartedly agree with that and we move on. And it's now is passed. It doesn't be brought up again. That's fantastic. It's interesting. You know, Stephanie and I, although we. Uh, worked and have worked together a lot over the years. We, you know, have different businesses and the same businesses, they all cross over. But to your point, I mean, when we, we go toe to toe, our, our, you know, if we disagree, we don't have a problem with, you know, duking it out, you know, like we really get into it and, and really debate and, and argue and fight about it in, in a, in a constructive way, always, you know, and in a respectful way, always, but it really is, uh, you know, it's only our very closest circle of friends, you know, they're used to it. They're going like, because we argue, we will. I'll disagree, and she'll disagree, and we'll get very, uh, we'll get very vocal about it. And our closest friends know that's how we operate, and they respect it, and they always know that we come to a conclusion. And there's nothing else around it other than a disagreement in terms of you know whatever an outcome or how to get to an outcome. And it's always very respectful. But I don't know. There's a part of it that is kind of fun too. That being being that confident in the relationship that you know we can we can do that and be that honest with each other. So you know. 30 years later that's just how we're wired now and uh so when you're when you're saying that i'm going yeah no i totally get that that's pretty funny so it is it is it's an interesting it is an interesting dynamic to have i think as a couple that are working together the ability to do that and i would say that most do but i don't know that to be true you know you just gave an example and and i have friends that uh, you know they're like that so i guess it's probably you know comes with being in business if you're committed to the success of the business and supporting your clients you're you're gonna you got two strong minds to your point you're not always gonna agree 
Exactly. So exactly. That's, so it's very interesting. So you know, you talk about the team that you've built, and when you talk, give me a little bit of insights into some of your team. For example, what have you learned about the team, and and what have you learned about building this particular business and the importance of the right people? What has it been for you? Anything stand out for you that you went, "Wow, that was such a good move." I'm so glad I did that. Anything that shows up for you? Let, let me answer that question in a very unique way. And this goes great for people listening who uh, you know are building companies or they want to grow their company is if you can build a great brand, people will actually gravitate to that brand you're building. Now mm-hmm. our brand is around me, around Ava, around CPI Capital, but that brand ended up being so strong that we had people gravitating towards it and wanting to be connected and be aligned with this brand. Mm -hmm. So the brand did the hard work for us connecting with these great minds who eventually came on and became part of the part of the company and became our partners. Um, uh, you know, Dr. Drew, Dr. Drew Tejambadi is one of the most brilliant minds I've ever seen. It was the brand that drew him to us, to him to realize this, you know, learn more about real estate, private equity, learn more about us watching our YouTube show. But that brand was so strong that allowed that. And then when I connected with him, I'm like, listen, Ava had a call with, with Dr. Drew, she, she told me about him. I'm like, all right, let me get on a call with this guy. And I'm like, my mission was that he's going to be connected to this company somehow, that he's going to uh, equity shares, ownership shares, whatever it is. This is someone that I want to align myself for the rest of my life. Doesn't matter in what capacity. That's how much of a brilliant mind it was. But all of that started with the brand. If it was, if we were just in another investment firm and the brand wasn't really around it, uh, it, it you know, that connection might have not been made. And also for other team members as well. You know, you, you describe, you know, perfectly what I often say to, you know, real estate investors, we spend a lot of time, you know, with investors and they're always saying, well, just tell me what to do. Tell me how to do it. Give me a new strategy, a new tactic. And I go, you know, there's the tactics and the strategies are, are pretty straightforward. You know, you can learn that really, really well. But to your point uh, in this conversation, it's not so much about what you do as who you're being while you do it. And this goes back to the brand. This gets goes back to leadership. It goes back to, you know, the relationship you have with Ava. It really is about who you are in the context of what you do. And, you know, uh, having got to know you and Ava a little bit in our journey together, as you guys as trusted partners with the Rain community, you are an interesting brand because aside from the fact that you're, you know, you've got CPI, how you show up and, what you do and your your values, your mission, that is very, very attractive in that regard. So I really get what you're saying. It's actually plays perfectly always into my own philosophy around it is you really do have to take a stand for what your highest values are to attract the people to that align with those values. And, you know, you've said it all along the, even in this conversation here, you've, you know, you've really put it out there as your commitment to your investors and, you, you know, your own commitment in terms of your values around, you know, if I'm going to, if there's going to be a project that lose money, I'm going to lose money before my investors ever lose money. I'll, but that's a stand, right? That's a belief system. And that's a statement of the character and, and, and the brand that you represent in CPI Capital. So I, I find it very interesting. And I think it's so valuable to anybody who wants to take that on they're so busy i don't want to i don't want to make it sound critical that's not what i'm meaning here often we see young people getting into this business for example and they don't understand what you just talked about which was 
how are you going to show up? What is the brand going to represent so that you attract the people that align with those values? Is that accurate of what you're trying to say there, August? Absolutely. No, precisely. So when you look at, you talked about you and Ava going to the gym. So let's talk a little bit about what is your self-care routine? Are you, you know, physical, mental, spiritual, or what is kind of, how do you look after yourself so that you have the energy, the time to do what you do on the business side of it? Because you're very passionate and intense. How do you, how do you show up so that you actually uh, look after yourself? Absolutely. Yeah. Going to the gym for us is really a ritual. It's not, uh, it's not a, Hey, we go to the gym today or not is a must. It's, uh, really looked at as, as, as if Obama, when he was in office for his two terms could exercise for an hour a day, everybody else can do it too. Okay. This is a president of the United States. If you exercise for an hour a day, you could do it. So yeah, it's, it's basically that logic is that, you know, a, a healthy mind lives in a healthy body. So it's very important to take care of your body, take care of your mental health. Um, if you are quote unquote successful in life, but you have mental health struggles, you have um, uh, addiction struggles, if you have uh, physical issues with, with weight or uh, unhealthiness, I would take, I would actually take the successful out of it. I don't believe someone is successful, even if they could be successful in life, sorry, successful in business, they couldn't really be successful in life if they haven't taken care of their own temple, their own body. So uh, very importantly, yeah, take care of your, your, your physical well-being. If it's a gym, if it's being active, surrounding yourself by other healthy individuals. Um, another thing I could add is the decision I've made to uh, not consume alcohol. I think it's been now uh, 12 or 13 years, best decision of my life. I feel like I'm in a part of a special club. I got a chip on my shoulder. I, uh, you know, <laughs> at some point I was like trying to be cool. I don't drink because like all this stuff. So I, it doesn't really work out at, at times. Sometimes I, I order a non-alcoholic beer and everybody thinks I am having a, a couple of drinks and I'm all usually an excited guy. I talk fast. I talk with my hands. So a lot of times people think I'm having, a, think I'm having a, a few drinks anyways, but, but yeah, that decision as far as being hundred percent sober, learning to get to get the feelings that alcohol and substances could give to someone, getting those feelings from life. If you can achieve that, you've had something truly incredible. Because when you take a substance, when you drink alcohol and the emotions that you feel, those emotions are not something that alcohol brought in. They were emotions that already existed in your body that alcohol allows it to be amplified. If you can find a way to get those emotions to come out naturally, either through sports, you've heard the runners high, you've heard you know situations that uh, that gets you that excitement. I mean, I, I signed up to a, a triathlon at the UBC sprint triathlon, which is 50% of a total triathlon. I, I'd never been on a road bike. I went and ordered, the, I went and found the road bike on Craigslist and showed up to the party. And I, I ended up coming to the top 15%. I finished it, I literally got off my couch and did it. But the excitement, the anxiety, the emotions that were involved in that whole, uh, you know, event prepping for it, that's like getting high. There's <laughs> ways to get high and get drunk by life, by circumstances that you put yourself in front of. So that's another advice I could give as far as when it comes to health. If you can achieve that, you've achieved that supreme being level. Awesome. And then what about mental, emotional? Are you, are you a meditator? Are you, do you journal? What do you, or, or is it, or you don't see a need for it or that's just not part of your routine? 
I mean, I, I just, I, I follow the, the success trails of, of many extremely uh, successful people, the super achievers, and meditation is an extremely important part of their life. Unfortunately, I have not utilized it as much as I, I can. That kind of, the, the mental side of things, the, the mental health, the relaxation, the, the yoga is something that I haven't uh, pursued yet. Uh, I haven't really utilized yet. It's something that I'm very eager to do so. Uh, my, my sister, uh, Sanaz Vinyas, uh, she's a she's a yogi. She has actually a she has like a, event that she holds every every Friday that she always invites me to, and it's done Zoom. So it's something that I really want to get into, and I see a lot of advantage in it, and I, and I definitely uh, promote it. But I haven't utilized it yet. So yeah, I mean, imagine if I do, where would I be then? Well, you know, something you bring it up as a much older, wiser man than you, uh, only because of my age. Uh, you know, I encourage you to uh, get that other side of it. You know, guys like you. I've always found, uh, you know, I'm not, I don't run that as intense. I think I might've, when I was much younger, I, I might've been a very intense guy and not being aware of it, but it was really when I discovered meditation and I did lots of yoga. I used to do a lot of Bikram and those kinds of things in my training days. And it really does bring out a different side of, it, it takes the edge off the intensity, which opens up the door for much more creativity. So it, so as, I, as I'm sitting here talking to you and you're sharing that with me, I go, oh gosh, and you got, you got a resource called a sister that's a, a yogi. Well, Buddy, tap into that. So good for you. So August, as we start to wind down, I, I kind of go through some additional what we refer to as rapid fire questions that are never rapid fire, but they're just uh, you know a little bit of insights into you. Put your uh, you know put your brain into gear. I'll give you an easy one right away. iPhone or Android? iPhone, iPhone. Oh my god! I had the first one before anybody had it in Canada. Don't the first one. start with that. You and JG. Oh my gosh, you're a born again iPhone guy. You're not even oh, born yeah, again. Man. You just started there. What, what, what was that NRA guy? It's like, take it away from my cold, <laughs> dead hands. For iPhone, that's what it is. Especially a guy who oh, never went to college. Gosh. This is my college. You, this is my life. Okay. All, the, all the education of the world is right here, man. It's like, oh, I, you know. gosh, you Apple evangelists make me crazy. Okay, uh, do you have a favorite book or, you know, one that you gift often? We have a YouTube show. We bring on expert guests, and and the the most common book everybody uh, always says is Rich Dad Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki. So that's my definitely number one recommendation. Uh, other books, I mean, about life, where we came from, where we're going, and things like that is Sapien. It's a great book to 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 read. Another book for startup building a company is Zero to One by um, Peter Thiel. So those are my top three picks, really. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you you know. Rich Dad, of course, is uh, still an infamous book you know, in terms of what Robert Kiyosaki does. I'm always uh, inspired a little bit by Robert Kiyosaki. You know, the older he gets, the little crazier he gets. But, you know, I really... Absolutely does. He does. I still admire him, though. And you know what I really admire about him? Because, you know, uh, he's uh, got 10 years on me. And I go, listen, when I'm 75 uh, and if I know I'm still uh, fired up, like he gets fired up, I go, "That's that's got to be pretty good. So anyways, that's my Robert Kiyosaki, uh, I guess, thought of the day. Do you have a favorite inspirational quote? Inspirational quote. Let me think about this. Uh, great quote. I mean, you know, Persian, Iranian, I would say really the Zoroastrian's uh, fundamental idea of think good, do good, and say good. Really the the, the fundamental idea of that Zoroastrianism uh, and, and Zoroastrian religion. I think if you follow those rules, you should be in a decent place. 
Got it. So then a question of if heaven exists, what would yes. you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? My man, let's have some fun. All right. You know, you know, I know, I know you never got became a martyr. There's no 72 virgins, but there's a lot of party to do up here, man. Come on in. Come on in. That's awesome. Your room, your desk, or your car, what do you clean first? Room. Definitely room. Because I wake up in it. Favorite tune or band? What are you listening to? What do you like to listen to? I have a certain genre that I listen to is Deep Vocal House. Wow, I'm going to have to look that up. Do you have a favorite movie? Ooh, let me see. Oh, a recent movie that I've watched a few times is, is a little bizarre for others, but it's, it's The Collector. The Collector? That co that, either Debt Collector or Collector. Who's in it? Do you remember? No big, no big top uh, Hollywood actors. It's just a, a smaller movie, but pretty good. But it was good. good. You remember it. Okay, yes. favorite swear word? Favorite swear word? Oh, let me think about this. Well, I don't know. You, 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 yeah, do you have one? Maybe you don't have one. Uh, yeah, let me think about this. Uh, favorite swear word? I mean, it really says who I'm saying it towards, really, right? It depends on the receiver. <laughs> <laughs> So, so you don't have a go-to. Well, maybe it's just, a, you know, you're putting it out into the universe just because I'll, you're I'll tell you something funny about a sore word, though. It's a really quick, very, very quick sure. story. Is, is mother effer. Yeah. I, 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 again, coming from, from the Middle East as, as a young man, before pre-puberty, really. So I wasn't really fully Middle Eastern. I was I'm much more Canadian than I am Middle Eastern. But in the Middle East, the worst sore word you can tell someone is basically something bad about their mother. Their mother yeah, being a... Yeah, of course. Yeah, being, yeah. Being a bleep, right? Yeah. So when I came to Canada, I was under the impression that when you say mother effer, you're actually saying somebody's mother is something or, yeah. or, or, or as such. Yeah. Uh, I, it wasn't until just a little while ago that I realized that mother effort doesn't really mean anything to somebody's mother. It actually means badass. When you actually do the dictionary. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so anyways, just want to make the, give that <laughs> so, so this whole time, and, and I, as I say it to all my somewhat of an immigrant friends, all of them like, really? It doesn't mean that? I'm like, no, it doesn't. It has nothing to do with people's mother. But well, yeah, I had an old, I had a uh, an old friend of mine who was uh, Lebanese, and he uh, he taught me as a young man how to uh, swear in the Lebanese. Of course, as you're apt to do when you're young, and he also taught me the worst insult, which I didn't know what it was. I just knew the word, and uh, you know, I used it one time on a on a, a Lebanese individual, and. Uh, I nearly died that day, and then I realized what it was, which was an insult to the mother. So uh, <laughs> don't do that, okay? I learned that at about 19 years old. So anyways, so uh, one more question before we go. What are you grateful for today? Oh, what am I grateful for today? What am I grateful for today? I have a long, grateful list of things. So I'm grateful I have my mother. I'm grateful I have my father. Grateful I have Ava as my partner and life partner. Grateful I'm healthy. Grateful for CPI Capital. Grateful for all the investors. Grateful for Patrick Francie and the Rain Network. Grateful for everything, really, man. I just can't can't stop it. There's just so much, uh, you know, so much happiness and so much gratefulness about life and everything that I was able to uh, achieve and everything that was, you know, was, was there for me to take. That's awesome. And I am always grateful for my guests and the opportunity to get to know you a little bit better today, August. So thank you so much for being on my show. And do you know what else I'm grateful for? We've had a kind of a cold and uh, or a chilly 
and wet spring. And today is a fantastically beautiful day. The sun is shining and uh, I'm sitting by the poolside studio having a conversation with you. And when I'm done here, I'm going to go uh, stretch, get some sunshine and uh, take my dogs for a walk in, a, in, a, in the country and uh, enjoy enjoy this amazing day so enjoy, man. thanks very much august enjoy it you deserve it thank you so much ladies and gentlemen thank you for listening if you found value in the podcast please take the time to rate and review and share with others share with your friends as it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you the listener If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.